I'm having a goddamn blast on tour with this Big Mouth and a Small Town tour. So I've added some dates and wanted to let you know where I'm headed next. Uh, yeah, March 14th, I will be in Lakeside, Arizona. And then the 15th and 16th, I'm finally coming to Tucson. So if you're in Tucson, I'm coming to Laughs Comedy Cafe. Get your tickets. We're going to have a good time. My good friend Noah Koffer will be featuring at those shows. He'll also be with me the following weekend when I come to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dr. Grins, I cannot wait to see you guys again. Those are always some of my favorite shows, and I'm sure this year will be no exception. And then I am headed up to my home state of Alaska for the Alaska Before You Die Fest. Anchorage, you better not fucking sit on these tickets. They're going fast. There's a few left. Uh, April 5th, I will be doing shows at the Gumbo House. It's downtown. I'm doing an early and a late show, one night only. It's an intimate venue, so tickets are limited. It's going to be out of control. If you've come to my show at Coots before, you know how fun they are. This venue is so much better for comedy. I can't even explain it. Just get fucking tickets. These shows are going to be wild. And then on the 6th, I'm headed down to Homer. Homer, Alaska. I am coming, performing there for the first time. Alice's Champagne Palace. And then on the 7th, I will be in Seward, Alaska. So Anchorage, Homer, Seward. We're having a goddamn good time. I'm going to come kill at all those shows because I'm a fucking Alaskan assassin. Am I sorry I said that? I don't know. Listen. Dayton, Kentucky, 12th of April. If you are in the Cincinnati-ish area, Dayton, Ohio, Dayton, Kentucky, this is your chance to see me at a really cool new venue called the Commonwealth Sanctuary. And then I am headed to Portland, May 3rd. I'm headlining the Rip City Comedy Festival. I will be at McMenamin's Mission Theater. You guys, this is a cool theater. We want it to be packed out because, of course I want it to be packed out, but also like, Let's have a goddamn good time in this nice, beautiful theater. So come to that. It's going to be a hell of a time. I can't wait to come back to Portland. And then Wisconsin. I'm headed back your way. But this time I'm coming to Janesville, May 17th and 18th. Green Bay on the 19th. And then what up, Florida? St. Pete, Tampa. I'm coming your way. Uh, Tampa, I will be there June 2nd. And St. Pete, um, they're ahead of that, uh, May 31st. Tampa, I'm at Side Splitters. And if you go to the links in all of my bios or go to their website to get tickets, for a limited time, you can use the code JMS and get $5 off tickets. And wherever you are, I'm trying to get people to buy tickets early instead of waiting to the last minute and making me panic so that if it is going to sell out, it sells out faster so that I know that, the club knows that, maybe we can add a second show. Just FYI, that helps every artist that you're a fan of. So if you can ever buy ASAP, go ahead and do that. Uh, So that's your incentive to buy early in Tampa. And uh, uh, I'll be adding more dates soon. If you did not hear your town, but you want me to come there, head over to my Instagram, instagram.com slash jmscomedy or just at jmscomedy if you're using the app like most of us. Uh, click the link in my bio, join my email list. That lets me know where you guys are so I know what areas want to come see me. Uh, so do that. I can't wait to get to more cities. I'm having so much fucking fun on the road. You guys have been amazing. People have been buying merch. These audiences have been out of control, good, just electric, laughing, having a blast. And I know all these upcoming shows are going to be no exception. So I will see you there jmscomedy.com slash shows to get your tickets. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We're going to have a fucking good time either way. So thanks for listening to this little promo. Enjoy this episode. Ta-ta, idiots. 
What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. What kind of ignorant shit is that? At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. You idiot, you fool! Hey, dummy! This is the Ignorance is Blessed podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hey, idiots. Welcome back to Ignorance is Blessed, the podcast that attempts to overcome ignorance, mostly by asking ignorant questions. With me, Jessica Michelle Singleton. I'm a comedian, and I'm a fucking idiot. And that's why we're here, to learn things about stuff that we don't know. If you're new to the podcast, first of all, thank you for checking me out. I appreciate it. You're great. Please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it over on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts because it really helps. It helps other people find the podcast and more of us can learn answers to our ignorant questions. On that note, thank you so much to everyone who has already subscribed and left a rating and a review. I love reading them. They boost my day and it really helps out the podcast. So thank you. Shout outs to my best idiots forever, Gene and Kathy over on Patreon. Those are top tier patrons. And I have levels for all of you starting at as little as $1 a month over at patreon.com slash ignorance is blessed. We have early releases, full length episodes because I cut them off at an hour. This one goes a little bit longer than an hour. I didn't cut this one off because it's like an hour and two. I wasn't going to do that to you guys. But look, I have hour and a half, hour 45, two plus hour episodes. You can only hear the full episodes over on Patreon. Not only that, I've pulled all my stand-up from YouTube and am only going to be releasing clips, excuse me, on Patreon. So if you want to see any of my stand-up, head over there. We do cool hangouts every month. There's going to be never-before-seen-or-heard content over there and possibly never heard anywhere else because who knows what the future holds, you know? Uh, We do postcards. It's a lot of fun. So if you want to support the podcast a little more than you already are with your subscriptions and reviews and ratings, please check out my Patreon. There's a link in the show notes and we would be happy to have you. Uh, If you want to get more involved without spending any money, there's also a Facebook group. Ignorance is hashtag blessed idiots. Great place for uh, crazy memes that maybe you don't want to share with your whole family, but you just want people to laugh at them or places to start a discussion. So head over there if you're still on the Facebook and shout out to my podcast sponsor Neurogum for keeping me alive. That's not true. That's they're not keeping me alive, but they keep me focused. Neurogum is caffeine gum with B vitamins and L-theanine and it keeps you focused while giving you energy. So it's uh, all the energy of caffeine without the bouncing off the walls and jitters. You get clarity, focus. It's great to take before you write, before you sit down to work on a long project. Highly recommend it. I love it. I love it so much that they retroactively offered to sponsor me once I spoke about them so highly. So this is an authentic, what's that word? Endorsement. Wow. I should have chewed my neural gun before recording this. Anyway, head over to getneuro.com. That's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com slash J-M-S to get 15% off on your first order. Let me know what you think. Getting a lot of people in my inbox saying they like it. Are you one of them? Yeah, I I think you will be. Or maybe you won't be. But I want to know. It definitely helps me. And uh, enough about me. Let's get to today's guest. Someone who maybe doesn't need Neurogum because this guy seems like he can do absolutely anything. My guest this week is Buzzy Cohen. You may know him from his championship run on Jeopardy. 
Uh, he also is a deadlift champion. He's taken up instruments and tap dancing. He's kind of done a little bit of everything. And we talk about it. He just has this amazing way of making a goal and sticking to it. And he shares kind of actionable tips and, and how to do the same for yourself with your goals in his new book, Get Ready, which is only available on Audible. And I will put a link in the show notes for that as well. But we kind of go into his process and how he gets in the zone a little bit. You know, we save save some of it for the book. So if you're on Audible like me, go ahead and use one of your credits because this guy is incredible and I was blown away. I was like, wow, you are really just a jack of all trades. You do it all. And he's a great guy. It was a fun conversation. He's easy to talk to and he's funny. So we're going to love this. All right, I'll shut the fuck up. Enjoy the episode with Buzzy Cohen. Hey, idiots. I'm here with the incredible Buzzy Cohen, Jeopardy master. Uh, I feel like you, you're a master of everything. I didn't realize that when I was like, Jeopardy! And then you're like, also, I have an Audible original and I am a deadlift champion. You're amazing. <laughs> Just thank, thank you for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, Thanks for having me. Of course. No, I was like, <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a while because we, you know, we had to reschedule and stuff. And I, I just am like, where do I even start with all of these, all of these cool things? And then I was, I was like, how does he even have time? Um, yeah. So I guess let's just start with, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people who are very fascinated by the Jeopardy thing. Of course. So I guess, I guess we'll, let's just talk about Jeopardy for a little bit, which. Okay. Because why not? It's but, great, yeah. Um, I mean, you went through, like, you were, like, Tournament of Champions. You went on All-Stars. You've done, like, so much of it. I don't, I mean, I don't even know where to start with questions other than, like, was Jeopardy a thing that you always wanted to do? Or was it, like, maybe uh, just, like, a random? Um, a little bit of both. Like, when I was a kid, I really wanted to go on the show. But I wanted to go on when I was an adult. I didn't want to do the teen tournament or yeah, college like, I, I or anything child's play I'm going yeah as a full grown exactly but then I kind of like forgot about it you know like I didn't do there's like you know quiz bowl which is sort of like a trivia team thing in college but I didn't do that in college I never really went to like pub trivia or anything like that regularly oh, wow. um but I I, the the way that I got back into Jeopardy was that my wife and I always hosted a, an Oscars party and one year, like, our stream feed fell, and I had to run to Target and get, like, bunny ears to oh, get no. the over air. And, um, <laughs> and so um, I had the bunny ears, so now I could watch ABC, and I started watching Jeopardy again. And they were like, hey, take the online test in a month or whatever. And I just signed up and just took it kind of on a whim. Wow. So you were like, yeah. I'll just take the test. And then from there, they're like, you seem to have – enough right answers that maybe you'd be good on Jeopardy. Cause that's kind yeah. of game shows want people to look good. There's, there's reasons they do these things. Yeah. I mean they do too. So the online test is like a, a 50 question test. And now if anyone is listening and wants to get on the show that you can take the test anytime. It used to be like twice a year. And now they have this new system where you can just log onto the website and take the test. Oh wow. So, um, but I took the test. It's a 50 question test. You have like 15 seconds per question, give or take. Okay. And based on it's not just the number that you get right but they also want to see that you get enough right across enough subjects right yeah, so like a variety so that right so it's not like it's not necessarily a raw number they say okay 
it's, you know, it's very opaque, that process. So then months and months later, like I want to say six or seven months later, I got an email inviting me to an in-person audition, which happened here in LA at the Doubletree in Culver City across from Dinah's, you know, where Dinah's restaurant is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So is in that double tree at like a, a meeting room. And so there they did another 50 question test. And that one, you only had seven seconds for each question. Oh, wow. Um, and then, and then they do kind of a mock game and interview. And a lot of that is just to see if you can communicate, you know, on your I feet. A, a personality and like. Yeah, I mean, I I think personality is a bonus. I think there's yeah, a lot true. of people that are not. Jeopardy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, wow, what, yeah. what a panel we've got today. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of people that are not ready for prime time that are yeah. <laughs> maybe really good at playing Jeopardy at home. But like the second someone's like, hey, so what are your hobbies? And it's like, well, I like constructing cryptic crosswords and uh, cleaning taxidermy. And it's like, okay. Oh, okay. you are terrifying. <laughs> Do we have a serial killer? Good. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of people, it takes them a lot of auditions to get on the show. Um, wow. And you just yeah. kind of went through the process and got on. Yeah. That's, it's just so crazy to me to imagine just thinking of like diehard Jeopardy people who are just want to get on so bad. So bad, yeah. Especially the idea that like some of those people fly out here. Well, they do the in-person auditions all over the country. Okay. So that's, and now, right now oh, they're doing the in-person stuff over Zoom, obviously. Um, oh, so that's way But yeah, so like the contestant team, you know, they shoot two weeks in like two weeks a week, right? So they shoot 10 episodes a week, give or take. They shoot yeah. five episodes a day, which a lot of people are surprised to learn. Um, yeah, it's so, I, I guess I'm just used to that, but like, because I've, I've had a, a specifically a game show person on this show, but where, and I've, I've gone and been a guest on, you know, like let's make a deal and stuff right. like that. But it's, yeah, they hammer them away. It's just, yeah. Crazy. And sometimes like I've heard stories that like when they were, when there was the threat of the writer strike, sometimes they'll do like six shows a day to get more in the can. If before like, everyone leaves. <laughs> before the, yeah. So they can like, so they don't have to have a break. So yeah, so the the contestant team though like flies all over the country and basically invites you to like the nearest one. So you know the LA one had people probably from San Diego to Santa Barbara or so, but then they do them in they'll do them in New York or Philly or Boston or Chicago and stuff like that. Oh, that's all. I mean, that's rad. Yeah. Did you, in like in your in your mind, did you think once you got to the point? that you were on after having taken the, the quizzes and stuff did. And they're like, we're going to put you on the show. Were you like, I think I maybe could go really far on this. Or were no. you like, oh, I'm going to be on an episode. That's crazy. Yeah. It was that I was like, you know, I just wanted to not be negative going into final jeopardy. So, you know, cause if you're negative going to final jeopardy, you don't get to play. <laughs> and so I was like, I just want to make it to final jeopardy. Really. That was how I felt. And that was how my whole family, like when, you know, I told them I was going on, that was kind of their, that was all of our wish. Right. And really like the point, like, I remember that moment when I buzzed in and Alex Trebek called my name and I said the right answer and he was like, correct. And I'm like, cool. Everything's gravy after this. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm okay. <laughs> I can do this. I've, I've climaxed and now it's all just sort of like, <laughs> you're like, Oh, I did it. 
I got yeah. her right on TV. Did everyone yeah. say that? Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. I, um, but I, what I will say is that um, going into my first episode, there was a returning champion who had won a lot of money. Cool. He had won six games. He had won $170,000. That's like very uh, high, a high dollar in the pre-James um, era. That's a lot of money to win. Yeah. That's like $30,000 a day, roughly. And he was very intimidating. And that just in general is intimidating. That like It's got to be like, oh, I get on the episode where there's this guy <laughs> right and and also like you know he's basically guaranteed to be in the tournament of champions so everyone and i was selected to play him the first game of that day and okay. so i sat down in the makeup chair and i was like so this guy's pretty good and the makeup lady was like yeah he's good and i was like well somebody's got to beat him it might as well be me oh my god that's so funny and then i and then i beat him and you're like, thank God, because that makes And it's it true. Crazy. I mean, like, that's like the truth of Jeopardy. I mean, they make, even if you win, they make you keep playing until you're a loser. We're all losers. I mean, yeah, eventually we <laughs> all lose. I feel like there's a good life lesson in that. Yeah. Like, things can go really well for you for a good chunk of time, but eventually yeah. you will you lose. Will lose. You will you, lose. So You have to be prepared for that. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I went in, and really my first time on the show was sort of like, whoa, I did not expect any of this. So I was just having a ton of fun. I was much more prepared, uh, much, I'd done more rigorous preparation um, for the Tournament of Champions, which oh, wow. I think, because I was just like, oh, I, I can't kind of like laugh my way, like sliding yeah, through can, some kind of like. Yeah, tough. I can't just make funny comments on my yeah. to the top. Which, yeah, which which wor it worked the first yeah. time. Because <laughs> you did a lot of that, right? Yeah. Like you were doing like funny. My final Jeopardy, when I would have a runaway, I would just bet zero and write kind of silly, kind of taunting messages to Alex Trebek. Yes. Which because the thing, again, going back to like taping five shows in a day, it's exhausting. And they like make you go and change really quickly. And it's just, it's such an intense, I mean, it's like taking five final exams. You know, there's 60 questions every show. 61 wow, and you're questions. Going back to back. Back yeah, to back. I didn't even think, because that's like just how they film game shows, but I wasn't even thinking of that in terms of, yeah, the contestants that are staying on. It's just like Exhausting. a long day or a few days or. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of fatigue. And also, even though there was a break in the airing, I taped my 10 shows like two consecutive days. So you can imagine how much sleep I was getting that night after winning five games, then had to sleep and go back to the studio the next day. I mean, my God. Yeah. Cause you're, I mean that the adrenaline from that. I'm sure. totally. And you're also like the experience is so dense and fast that you're kind of trying to unpack it. You're like reliving things you got wrong that you should have known or like things uh. you wish you had done. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole betting zero thing was, was more about like, I'm just going to give myself a break. Like, five or 10 minutes where I don't have to think I know that I'm not. And then I was like, Oh, I got to answer something Yeah, as well. Kind of make it a joke. Right. Right. I that's I mean, my, that's, that's fun. And that's just like, it's, it just makes sense. And kind of like good that you had that attitude of like, we're all like really tired here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so exhausting. Right. And even like not playing, like watching from the audience, you're tense. Cause you're like, you don't know if you're going to be up next and you're kind of trying to like play along and see how well you would do. So the people who were like waiting to play me, I think, I don't think it was, I mean, maybe it, wait, 
it was less exhausting, but I don't think it was like they were just like kind of lounging around eating. Chilling, yeah. They're all like, I'm sure, just going like, oh, I know this. Let me get, like, because it feels like a muscle, but at the end of the day, it's just all different answers. Did you do any type of prep? Like, do they they give you- They they give you nothing. Nothing. They give you nothing. Um, They give you, uh, I don't have one here, but they give you- they give you a pen that has like a little red clicker that you can practice watching the show Buzzing and clicking in. it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the first time I, w- I was getting, uh, I was going on the show, I did like kind of what everyone suggests you do, which is watch the show with a pen and practice buzzing in and answering correctly. And what I found was that really didn't prepare me very well for the experience of being on the show. Wow. First of all, we're, most of the time we're watching the show at like seven o'clock, seven thirty, at least in the afternoon. The yeah, f- you're at the studio at 7 a.m. Oh first show God. starts taping at like 9:30 or 10. Excuse me, sorry. We're oh. taping like five shows in a row, as I said. You're on your feet. It's it's a totally different experience. And so when I was going back for the tournament of champions, I was like, how can I prepare myself not just to know all these answers, but also or responses to in jeopardy, <laughs> yeah, right? Because. Right. Um, <laughs> They don't even call them questions and answers anymore. They call them clues and responses to be. Wow. Yeah. I mean, oh, Jeopardy. (laughs) Um, But also like, how could I prepare myself for all the other aspects of the experience? So I would like study and practice at the time of day that the show taped. I would go to the gym and hang from a chin up bar or hold a plank and have my trainer quiz me to recreate like, Oh when you're god. stressed and you can't come up you know when you're stressed oh my god, and you yeah, when, can't come up with the answer because it's so much harder like when you're sort of in that state of panic or like exactly stress. so yeah. i was like how can i recreate that state of panic and so you're just this guy to- in the gym and if if people don't know you they're just like yeah that guy's just doing trivia while he- <laughs> kind of yeah i mean luckily i go to like a very small gym okay. there's like four to six people there at any given time okay uh, but, but there was some like eyebrow raises when I'd be like pushing the sled, like listing off presidents. Like, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what is this guy doing? Are we allowed to do this now? They're like, is that a thing? I yeah. So yeah. And I did, I started wearing the suit and tie every day because like, that's what I was doing on the show. And I wanted that to be like effortless. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, you want to be comfortable while you're exactly. as comfortable as you can be. That right, makes at least, sense. At least make it familiar, right? Like you see it all the time. People like have a big day and they like go and they put on these clothes and shoes or whatever that they're not used to. And it's like they're putting them it's like they're putting themselves at a disadvantage. It's like they are trying to give the speech of their life in a language they don't speak. Oh my God. This is so insightful because I'm just now <laughs> imagining all the people who like I'm thinking of like also myself if I ever were to get to on screen jeopardy but like they that do all the auditions and the tests and they get there and then they're just like oh god yeah i mean like people so were like needed help like tying their ties and stuff like that and i'm like what an infantilizing experience i mean i you know I, I some of them are my friends and i'm sure that some people it doesn't affect but i knew for me like i wanted to feel good i wanted to it to all feel very natural and effortless because all of that helps your brain and it also kind of like intimidates people yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, hello, that's a, and it intimidates people, so intimidates. watch out, which also gives you an advantage because it fucks up their brain. Yeah. Um, that's, well, that's amazing. I mean, how cool is Alex Trebek? 
Um, he was very cool. He was very cool. I mean, the first time I was on the show, I think he didn't know what to make of me. But I kind of feel like when I went back, like either a producer or his kids or someone was like, no, this is fun. This is cool. People on like Twitter and BuzzFeed are talking about this. Like he kind of got into it more. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. Because he was like, yeah. hey, no one's ever done that before. Right. And then after me was um, my friend Austin, who was like even more off the wall than I am. And Whoa. so I looked, I looked very like tame and like, oh. like, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> someone, someone FaceTiming into this. I know. Um, I have a question. It's like, who the hell yeah. is my phone on airplane? So calls are coming in anyway. Yeah. So. so he was even crazier. So I looked very staid and. Yeah. Crazy. So you're like, okay, great. I looked that's yeah. wow. And okay. And that guy was just. Of like a friend that you already had going no no we became friends okay because we taped in the same tournament of champions we were in the finals together and we kept in touch and we both had a similar idea which is like this is a game show this is fun like obviously we want to win obviously we want to be right but it's like this isn't this doesn't really mean anything it's not like all we have it's not the yeah. end of the world if we yeah God. and we like for both of us like having fun was a big part of our experience on the show. So it was very fun to play with him. And then we kind of dragged Alan along for the ride, who was the third person in our finals. And he yeah, got in on the so act, funny. but he was like, like, he was like shaking the he's entire time. He's like, come on guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like, we had lunch before the finals are, were two games. So we taped, they taped three shows in the morning and then we broke for lunch. Wow. And the three of us had to have lunch together because they didn't want us to be influenced by any other players. Oh, interesting <laughs> and um and we were like okay cool let's do like synchronized the opening sequence thing the three of us and austin <laughs> and i were like yeah we were like really excited and alan's like okay i guess we'll we get in trouble but then he he got in on it and he's uh, we're all the three of us are all good friends now so oh that's so rad just. Yeah, but Trebek is cool. The thing that people don't realize is that the what you see on TV is the extent of everybody's interaction with Trebek. Um, yeah, he's probably it's like very hands off. It's not like well, it's not hands off, it, but it's well. Part of it too is that he has already reviewed all of the games. Right, oh, the so day. it's like a conflict. So yeah. they just don't want he doesn't if he reveals something accidentally. Like he gets confused and thinks of, you know, accidentally mentions something from a, a game that's happening later that day. Then like they have to rewrite the question and da, da, da. it like becomes a whole thing. And so he's very like, he's very nice, very kind, very generous, talks to the audience. I've been at enough tape days to know that he answers the same five questions of the audience members every single time. Really? Wait, can you tell us what they are? Say, us, since we may never be in an audience again. Yeah. So I'm trying <laughs> like... There's also the like, so there's the, how do you think you would do if you were on Jeopardy? And he's like, oh, I think I would do okay on most of the subjects, but I'm too slow. If they had a senior's version, <laughs> I would do okay. But I'm not, you know, the kids, this is literally like his speech. Like the kids who grew up playing video games have a big advantage with their wow. hand-eye coordination. That's his that's, theory. That's an interesting uh, theory. Yeah. Like, um. Hmm. And I actually had a USB buzzer that I used to use to practice and it like recorded my reaction time first. Really? Man, yeah. I love that you were just full on like Iron Man training for this. Just like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I'm an Olympic athlete. 
you know, like those Home Depot ads where people are like stocking shelves and then they're like rowing after work or whatever. Yeah. That was, that was click, click, click. (laughs) Doing trivia Um, while you're running a marathon. (laughs) Exactly. Basically. Um, He answers that question. People ask him what his favorite, um, like parody of himself is. And he says he likes the Eugene Levy version more than the Will Ferrell version. That's so Um, funny. Wow. And then people always ask um, like who he thinks should be the next host. And he makes some, he always says like, I think it should be a woman. I think it should be someone who's young so that they can host for a long time. So I suggest Betty White. (laughs) Oh, he's fun. That's yeah. So he's yeah, and I I think he's a good sport because he he does get asked the same thing over and over again, which I'm sure is exhausting. But he's like yeah, you know, I love that he has fun answers, and that's yeah, and that and you know that he's fun with the audience. That's cool. Yeah, and it makes sense that they kind of like keep keep him away from here. I wonder, I wonder if early on in that job he like messed up a couple times, and he's like, I just got to stay away from the contestants. This is I I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. It's it's the it's possible. Like, Come on, Alex. <laughs> we gotta write a whole new. It's like, hey, hey, you're into American history. Just wait, something fun is coming up. <laughs> and they're like, son of <laughs> a whole category. <laughs> we have to write all those questions. Oh my yeah. god, what? I mean, I that would be an interesting job having to do the research and writing for for Jeopardy. So much training. Yeah. Have so you ever thought trip. of? Getting together with your two friends from Final Jeopardy and going to a pub trivia and just... We've done it. You We've have? We've done it a few times, yeah. Did you win? No, um, we didn't. We go to... So there's a trivia night out here in Los Angeles called O'Brien's and it's like 90% former Jeopardy contestants. That's so funny. And it's like known for being like the hardest trivia in in the country they claim it's like the hardest trivia night in the country and so austin and alan and i played the first time i think we finished third or fourth oh man um it's hard yeah and also what i will say is like um jeopardy isn't really a trivia show jeopardy is a general knowledge show right that's fair yeah because some trivia nights get very like deep into specific topics right and so jeopardy is asking questions and this like i go into this a little bit in terms of like understanding how to prepare for jeopardy it's like they're not going to ask really obscure stuff because they want at least some part of the home audience to recognize it or know it. if it's like too arcane people are just going to tune out yeah they want people in their seats playing along which i think anyone listening who has watched jeopardy knows that feeling of oh it's this oh and even if you don't know who wrote moon for the misbegotten you've heard of eugene o'neill yeah maybe maybe I was like, yeah, I haven't. Totally. Um, <laughs> oh, Gene. But I, but I love under a rock. Um, um, but that's yeah. the idea. There's some like recognition. So whereas like a trivia night, you know, it it can get extremely obscure. Yeah, and or so like it's super sort of niche if they if they do it like theme yeah. or Yeah. So O'Brien's is is general subject and they try to make it pretty even, but it, it can become very like I played last night for the first time in six months, and one of the questions was like which wasn't definitely wasn't the hardest question of the night, but it was like, uh, name the five vice presidents who succeeded, not maybe not immediately, but became president without the president that they were VP for dying or resigning. Right. So like LBJ wouldn't count because JFK was assassinated. 
Oh yeah, that's a thing, right? <laughs> what if I didn't know that? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> so anyway, I, I didn't even realize there were that many because I'm. It's only five. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, you don't have to answer, but you, you can see it's well, like no. a much different kind of question than yeah. Jeopardy would ask. You know, Jeopardy Absolutely. would give you a lot more clues, and you know, it's like, I, you know, for me, to me, like what I say is like Jeopardy like doesn't really get much past high school level material. It's just that none of us really retain all that stuff from high yeah, school. Yeah, it's like all these facts that at some point we had. That's my, anytime I watch, there's a lot of like, oh man, I I know that, but I don't, right. I can't recall it. Totally. Um, wow, that's so, and you went, did you, are they doing trivia? Is it like a- it's a, They're doing it on Zoom. Okay, I was wondering, I'm like, are they doing outdoor trivia? Yeah, no, they're doing it on Zoom. That's... Um, but normally it's at uh, O'Brien's Pub in Santa Monica. Noted. Someday I'll go there. <laughs> and they have a very fun, if people are into movie trivia, listen, they have the, like a great Oscar quiz that it's like incredibly hard. And there are people who come just to the Oscar quiz. Oh, wow. Yeah, my uh, boyfriend, Andy, um, yeah. he would probably do well at that. He's got a, I didn't know until pandemic, but he has like an insane knowledge of Oscar-specific trivia. He was like yeah. naming... That was the 1994 Oscar for, and I was like, what? Yeah. You just have all that in a vault yeah. up there? That's yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, That's totally. impressive. So did your Jeopardy experience sort of, it, did it lead to the Audible? Originally? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So what happened was, um, it's obviously I'd been going, I said I'd been going to the gym when I was getting ready for the tournament of champions, as yeah. I alluded to. And what I saw was that like, with this really kind of concerted and conscientious effort, I could make a huge improvement in my performance. Like wow. I, I played at a much higher level at the tournament of champions than I did during my initial run. And, um, I, I just wanted to see what, what else I could do. So I walked into the gym like the week after I taped the tournament of champions and I went to the, the trainer who had been quizzing me. I was like, Hey, how long would it take you to train me to win a deadlift competition? Having never done you. Yes. Cause I had never done a deadlift before. He's like, I, I saw you pant on a rowing machine. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, when you came in, you couldn't touch your toes and um, you had a 20 inch neck. <laughs> True story. Oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah. But but you were like, okay, I saw that specific effort yielded results. Let me put this into practice somewhere else and see. Exactly. So exactly. you just started training. How long? I mean. He said what? like, I need like eight or nine months probably. Yeah. Were you like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. And I signed up like a week later for a deadlift competition and I ended up winning my weight class. That's, I mean, congrats. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. How how often, when you're training for a deadlift competition, how often are you working out every day or every week? Um, I train four days a week. Okay. And then I would do, there were like brief periods of time when my schedule permitted where I would do like two a days. So I would train four days a week, twice a day. Oh my God. And yeah. you just got like, were you jacked? I was like just strong, but I was not. I like the problem is like a lot of the times, you know, people start cutting, want to cut weight, but I, I never really like, usually what happens is you plot your strength plateaus and you're like, okay, this is kind of where I can get to. And then you start like trying to keep the strength and cutting weight. And then so when you're in like a lower weight class, but exactly. Still just and I kind of never plateaued. 
Hello, <laughs> just, <strong> man. <laughs> well, I also like I had an injury that okay. kind of messed up my training for a little bit. So anyway, so I I like you looking at me. I just kind of looked like a normal person. Yeah, for anyone like who whole... can't see you, which is most people listening. Um, yeah, you. I mean, you look like just kind of like average, just a normal dude guy. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be like I oh, had that like guy lifts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then I just had like very strong butt muscles. I guess. <laughs> just so like... funny. Like I just uh, my butt got ripped. My butt got ripped. Um, <laughs> and what is that a thing that you like? Did you continue lifting, or were you just like, I just want to see? Yeah, no. I mean, I kept going to the gym. I didn't want to do another strength Definitely. competition. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. I'm like not. I don't have the genetics for like a bodybuilding thing, but I just kept going because it was just part of my routine. You know, like yeah. and part of my more. I would say mental health, and also oh, it makes like such a difference. Yeah, and I also kind of like making little challenges for myself so like my trainer and I would just kind of make up dumb stuff to be like okay here's the here's the new goal and then I was like an arbitrary here's the like not arbitrary but like you'll just pick a yeah kind of like oh I want to focus on like you know you know keeping strength but you know changing my body fat percentage or something like that and like do a program for like three months focused on that so it sounds like you're really good or maybe it's maybe anyone it's like a thing anyone you're like really good to, at sticking to stuff then i you am know, like, yeah yeah do you and, and maybe maybe you, i assume you maybe cover it in the book do you have any like generic advice for like someone who maybe has trouble sticking to like does some does something help motivate you or are you just someone who can go i'm gonna do this i'm doing well, this uh, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, I think having goal, like a specific, um, like time goal. So I, after the deadlifting thing, I decided that I wanted to learn how to do a specific tap dancing routine That's that amazing. was like tied to a date. Like it was, it's, you know, without giving too much away, it's like the tap dancing routine is tied to a holiday. Okay. So you're like, I want this to be completed by this time yeah. so I can do it at this specific Ex- thing. Exactly. And so I found a tap dancing instructor. Had you ever tap danced? I'd never tap danced. This and she was like, this is really hard. Like this isn't like nine months. This is like a year or two and nine months. And, and so I was like, like okay, okay. But if I'm rigorous. And I was like, okay, cool. Sounds good. No. And, and it's hard. Like I was really having a hard time, uh, but I, I started to get into it and I started learning the routine like a little bit slower i was like you know i was getting into it yeah um that's amazing and um and then the pandemic happened and like i can't practice tap dancing and she's giving lessons over zoom but like would you want to live with someone who was like practicing tap dancing no you're i that's what i was just gonna say is that like i don't know if you would survive that i think your family would yeah so i I put you on a stake and i took a pause i took a pause from that but yeah i also like i think i'm just kind of like even though I think I like to, I'm a little bit irreverent. I'm also very good at following like rules. Yeah. Um, and so like, I remember I used to do a lot of Buddhist meditation when I was younger and nice. you know, I would go on retreats and everyone's like, how do you stay quiet for two weeks or whatever? I'm like, I don't know. It's just a rule. You just don't talk. Like why do you, do you have, have to- you done Vipassanas? 
I, I didn't do Vipassana. I used to go on Dzogchen retreats. Oh, okay, cool. I did a Vipassana Dzogchen. once, but, and everyone yeah. does the same thing. They're like, you can't shut up for 10 seconds. What are you? are like, no, you're just know. not allowed to. Yeah. It's like, how do you yeah. drive on the right side of the street? It's like, you just do it. You I'm know? not a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Do, do you think it helps to go? Cause that's inter- like you going, oh, here's a competition I'm going to enter, or this is a specific routine. Do you think that, maybe somehow having that specific like date with like the specific routine yeah. Yeah. helps versus going, yes. I just want to tap dance. Exactly. For me, it does. Yeah. Like okay. going, I just want to tap dance. It's too vague. And it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just, I, I like having like the really specific goal with a date. And even if you kind of don't get there or whatever, it's like, it, it, give, it brings things into focus, right? Like yeah. it, it's very rare that we kind of, take on anything successfully that isn't doesn't have some sort of specific goal or outcome attached to it yeah i and i'm i'm just thinking about that personally of all the things i like want to learn if i were to give myself a deadline because how many things have i finished in like or any of us finished in life just because we had a due date and then right and i think it's also important because people set unrealistic deadlines like i conferred with my coach before i figured out the deadlift competition I spoke with the tap dancing teacher before I figured out what year I was going to try to finish the tap dancing. Yeah, because you weren't just like, next week. Yeah, because that's also unrealistic, and then you feel like a failure, and then you don't try stuff. It's like, figure out something that's realistic and, you know, doable, um, and, and, you know, just say, okay, that's what I'm doing. And it might change a lot. Like, with the routine, at one point, my – teacher and I were thinking about changing what routine I was going to learn because there's another one that we were kind of talking about. And she was just like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but just why don't you stick with the one that you want to do because who cares? You know what I mean? But like changing like, you know, on route is also okay. It's like, you just kind of got to get on the road. That's, I mean, that's so real. Like just getting on. Um, Yeah. And then did like, I, I want people to like go listen to your audible. So I don't ask, I don't want to dig too much. Cause I was like, no, that's what the I'm whole, a, it's called get ready. Yeah. The, like, so, oh yeah. So you asked like, did what, what prompted the book? So basically I did all these preparation things and I realized like, Oh, this stuff is really applicable to tons of different people in tons of different situations. Um, like a, a lot of the examples I use are like job interviews, dating, um, you know, giving speeches at weddings. Um, oh, wow like all these things that people have to do and they kind of know that they need to prepare for them, but they kind of do like what I did the first time I was on Jeopardy, right? Like you have to give a speech at the wedding, you write it, you like maybe read it to your significant other or boyfriend or girlfriend once or twice, maybe and then you're like, or in the mirror and you're like, okay. And then you get up there and it's like, why did that not go the way I wanted it to? Or oh, a God. presentation for work. I mean, sometimes they go, well, I'm not saying that everyone is up there bombing, but yeah, we've, but- We've all been a victim of minimal self-preparation where you go like, exactly. I could have spent a little more time on that. And I just, yeah, like, and, that's enough. And I think that also people, even if they know they should spend time on it, they don't always know how to spend effective time on it. So what the book does is kind of create right. some ways to start to look at what you have to do and to figure out, okay, here's the best way to prepare for it. So for instance, um, you know, I have a chapter on props and this is something that people fuck up all the time. Like they, 
you know, or going to give a presentation at work and like their computer's got all these windows up or like it's not, it doesn't connect well. They go to give a speech at a wedding and they've got like the wine glass and the cards and it's all like fumbly and they have a microphone. You know, it's like spend 10 minutes, think about what you're going to have to do and just kind of get ready for that. Wow. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's so smart. And like, cause especially cause you've had that experience of like practicing with a buzzer and yeah, people don't think about, Yeah, it's so easy to theoretically be giving a, a speech, but then it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, sitting on my butt on a couch, just reading it. Exactly. And standing up is a great one. Like uh, for work presentations, are you standing up or are you sitting down? You're going to communicate really different thing, really differently with your body in those positions. So maybe practice both ways. Yeah. And like um, see I, what is going to convey the best kind of. Or just get ready for both of them because you might like be planning on standing up, but the room isn't conducive to yeah, it. There's or like, something. there's just no chairs. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you gonna, yeah. I'll just sit on the floor. It's yeah. Let's, let's get, let's get, a, let's get a little crisscross applesauce going on here. Um, <laughs> so um, even um, what was I going to, Oh, interruptions are a big thing that happen in speeches, in presentations and stuff. And people like a lot of times don't know how to get back into it. Right. Yeah, they can't recover. I mean, as a stand-up comedian, I've said it on several occasions just in in my workplace. Exactly. So I'm like, hey, shuffle up your speech and like pick a random place and can you start from there? Like when I was a young concert pianist, my piano teacher would pick like a random- God, you've done everything. My (laughs) My piano teacher would be like, all right, start from the top of page nine. Yeah, instead of take it all the way from the top. Exactly, because you might fuck up in page eight or in the middle of page nine. Okay. I don't like, are you going to start? You can't start over from the beginning. So, you know, you practice starting from these like various places. Wow. That's like, you're feeding me information that I'm like, these are things <laughs> I need to apply. Cause I'm very big about like, take it from the top. And it's like, yeah. you can't do that. If you fuck up yeah. in the middle of a musical, you can't be like, can we just can we or- all stop and start, <laughs> start the number over. I yeah. <laughs> Or like, you know, someone has to like, gets pulled out for a call. It's like, how far back do you need to go for them to know what's going on? Yeah. So there's just these little things. Yeah. There are these little things that I kind of, and by the way, it's not just my experience. I interviewed a competitive uh, coffee brewer, a glass blower. uh, (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. Competitive coffee brewing. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, A U.S. attorney who was on Robert Mueller's team. What? Uh, I like all these people. I, I interviewed a guy who I worked with who was the chief creative officer who used to present work to Steve Jobs every week. And when he was like 48 years old, he started taking improv classes <laughs> just to get like better at like communicating and, and being on communicate, communicating, being on his feet, like listening and not being defensive and like learning how to work with. And it like transformed like his life. Wow. I always hear about the like improv for like corporate stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to hear about someone who actually it helped. Cause I'm sure it's, he, I'm sure it's very helpful. I just always, you know, I've yeah. done improv he brought, he brought the, the, the teachers from the school that he went to into, um, into the office and did like a, you know, an onsite offsite for like half a day where we did like, yes. And games. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. We're team building. Yeah, but I think he, you know, he just saw how like, mo- he said, you know, like most people in a conversation, his, his, it was his, his marriage therapist or whatever, his couples counselor who suggested it because he's like, most people in a couple 
or in any situation are just waiting for the person to finish talking and then say what they want to say. Instead of actively listening. Exactly. And so he's like, and so they suggested, well, and you can think about it in the workplace too. Like if you're presenting creative ideas, how much better is the work going to be if you're actually listening to what people are saying instead of coming in being like, this is what I want to hear. And I'm going to wait for them to finish and then show them how it's not what I wanted to hear. Yeah. And (laughs) it's, I mean, it's so true. And it's also just, I'm thinking it from like comedy writing standpoint, but like you can, if you learn to actively listen, you can avoid a lot of repetitive time wasting and stuff like that. Cause the amount of times that like I've seen someone, it's either happened to me or I've seen someone do it where they'll be like, here's a great idea. And it's like, you just repeated my idea. Yeah. I like just, I bet they were a man. (laughs) But they were a man. Um, Yeah. I've had women do it too. I don't, when, when people go like men always, and I'm like, people who don't listen like and maybe <laughs> people yeah it's true people listening. in general don't listen but like because and i shouldn't say that like all the but women also listen. don't listen you say it's like yeah <laughs> i just hey, did it to you I, yeah, no i, I, <laughs> I just did it I was, <laughs> is that no. we have also that's the pull that's the pull quote for you for that yeah, you post on this interview <laughs> yeah get Fuzzy it Cohen. <laughs> Fuzzy um, Cohen so yeah so yeah the whole the whole thing was kind of, and you know, as you can tell, I have a pretty eclectic interest and I didn't want to write a book for people. That's like when the Olympic cycling team prepares for blah, blah, blah. It's like, (laughs) we've read those books. We've read the chess masters. We've read the concert violinists. So I was like, who are some interesting unexpected people that could shed light on this that, excuse me, that like, um, could, could also be fun to learn about. Yeah, I think that's great. Finding <laughs> these, these people that we haven't really heard from that have interesting perspectives. Yeah. And the, the glass blower that I interviewed is this guy, Alex Rosenberg. He was on Blown Away. I don't know if you watched that Netflix show. I'm going to now. Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a, it's like those cooking competition shows, but it's glass blowing. Yeah. Man, they can make a competition out of anything. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and he was like, it's actually kind of, it, it kind of makes more sense for glass blowing because glass blowing like does have time constraints and weird pressure because like of the material and also it's expensive to like rent time in a glass blowing studio yeah so you're like okay i've got four hours to finish this piece i better like whereas like a cooking show it's all sort of arbitrary it's arbitrary like, you have thir- just, like 30 minutes and you're <laughs> yeah like, okay this is impossible <laughs> yeah when it's just it is interesting to see uh like a visual or sort of physical art form in right way. where not to shit on people who I'm sure cooking is their art. No, I th- it's cool. Yeah. I'm into it. Um, but anyway, he, uh, so he was like, okay, he's a very smart guy. He like went to RISD. He went to MIT. He like very good glass blower. And he's like, all right, instead of trying to make something huge, that's going to break that might, if it breaks, I'm fucked. I'm going to make something kind of like smaller or medium size and I'll make three of them and then I'll get to choose the best one. Or wow. if one of them breaks, I've got backups. And it's just like that mentality, if we all did that for everything in our life. Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> I mean, truly going, I have some variety. Wow, instead of trying to be like, this will be. This is the one. Yeah, my putting all my eggs in this basket. And then you're yeah. like, the basket caught fire. And my yeah. <laughs> Hooray 2020 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that is fascinating. And 
So for the, is it just in audio format? Yeah. So when I, I wrote the, I mean, it was my, this is my first time writing anything longer than an email since I've been in college. Wow. And I, um, I put together a proposal, which was like 10,000 words. And then yeah, Audible basically won the auction for the proposal. They were like, we want it exclusively. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Audible is an Amazon company. And so they're also doing a lot of exclusive content the way Amazon is. Yeah, they were doing, I mean, I think they're doing sort of like, like series and stuff too. I have another friend who, um, something that he, I think originally wrote as a television pilot. Right. And yeah, they're buying stuff and doing like multi-voice kind of like dramatic stuff like radio plays kind That's of what I want to I want to be doing radio plays for Audible. That's incredible. <laughs> so, when you originally started it, were you thinking, "Oh, it will probably it will probably be a physical book." And then you're like, "Oh shit, Audible." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just wrote it like I was writing a book. And the again, going back to like understanding what you actually have to do, the people my editor at Audible was great and she was like, "This is all written very writerly, like the way people would read a book." You have to think about this as someone listening and you, you like use more conversational um, kind of more conversational. And also like in a book, you introduce an anecdote, you kind of analyze it, you go into maybe some of the theory or whatever you want to call it behind it. And then you go back to the anecdote, right? That's yeah. kind of how you would do something like this. She's like, yeah, but if you're lost, you can flip back a few pages and be reminded of what the yes. anecdote is. Whereas in audiobooks, it's harder to do that. So she's like, just kind of block it out, like do the whole anecdote do the whole like analysis thing. Don't kind of go back and forth the way you would in a written book. That's, uh, that's great that you had someone to advise on that because there, uh, there have been so many books that I've gotten on audible because I have a, just like the monthly membership. Yeah. And they're originally like books you, you know, read. And, yeah. so, and I do a lot of, you know, nonfiction learning type of stuff. So there'll right. be all of a sudden it's like, there's a self-assessment or there's like right. yeah. stuff that I'm like, I, I need, I want to bookmark this. Like, yeah. so that's great that they're, that you sort of formulated it specifically for that. And, format. It, and it also helped me a lot. Cause I, you know, I had a, certainly some like imposter syndrome because there are people who have like PhDs in, in performance and stuff like that and performance sciences and psychology that have, you know, I'm like, well, should they write this book? But because it was my voice yeah. reading it, <laughs> it kind of made it easier for it to be like, yeah, this is my point of view. This is my experience. I talked to some people. I found some interesting stuff and now I'm just sharing it. It's not like black and white book that yeah, I'm li- the library of Congress <laughs> number or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I can imagine that's helpful because I think so many people, imposter syndrome creeps up and especially when all of a sudden you're presented with making a book that's supposed to be informative, then you're going, are people going to go, well, who the fuck are you? Yeah, exactly. But then, yeah. yeah, making it, having that format of it clearly being, hey, this is just my thoughts, some stuff I picked up along the way. I wanted to share yeah. it. That's yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. That's great. From, I, from the point of going, maybe I should turn what I've learned into a book or something to help people to like it being done. How long was that process? Um... Like, did you go, I want to make a book and immediately get to preparation the way that you do with things? No, 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 no. So what happened was actually uh, somebody heard me on another, on a podcast. I was on a podcast, um, like right after the Tournament of Champions aired, give or take. So that was like 2017, maybe early 2018. Nice. And um, 
they were a, a literary agent and we had some mutual friends so they could like find, find me. You. Nice. And um, just said like, Hey, have you, I heard you on this podcast. Have you ever thought about um, writing a book? And I said, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? Yeah. Thought about and, it? and at the time it was like, I was in preparation for the deadlifting meet, Right. Cause that was happened right afterwards. And I, I had spoken with a, a documentary director. I was like, wow about like do you want to like you know or like we were talking about doing and he was like I think what's more interesting than you training for this deadlifting competition is that you're like kind of like a nut bar about nut bar it's like what my 13 year old self would say you're kind of a nut about like this this whole like preparation thing and like you've kind of like like in a life hacker kind of way you, you like try to like find these really effective things and he's like I think that's more interesting so we decided not to do a documentary because watching someone deadlift is incredibly boring. I mean, and yeah. You'd be surprised <laughs> how many people watch those videos though. I'm like, what do we? <laughs> well, I only like the ones where the guys deadlift and like their noses start bleeding. Like, and ah, and I, <laughs> I was just always watching those like, and you like choose to do this for pleasure? Yeah. Like that's. Or like the vomiting, like they like do like a heavy one and they just like throw up. Oh. Um, but yeah, so the, I spoke with this agent, um, about a number of different ideas, that being one of them. And she's like, I think that one's really interesting. And, and then she worked with me on developing that, uh, proposal. That's amazing. So I, I like made a table of contents. I wrote an author letter. I wrote a chapter. The table of contents had about a paragraph about what each chapter would cover. Talked about some of the people I would interview talked about some other books that are kind of in the space and how mine is different stuff like that. Oh, cool. So the table, like the table of contents was actually sort of like the pitch almost for like each a, chapter. Here's what yeah. will be in the chapter. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. It's interesting to yeah. kind of get a peek behind the curtain of what a proposal yeah. might look like. And I think, you know, I, I don't think that's how every book gets sold. I don't know, but that's, no, I mean, you know. I, ha I wouldn't have any idea, but it <laughs> seems, it seems like any industry that, is like a creative or art adjacent it seems like a lot of the stories are like yeah it's crazy how it just happened this person found me or you know yeah nowadays there's so much self-publishing but right. everyone i know who has has had like a book deal or something it's been this random coincidence of someone who happens to work there comes across right. them and is like have yeah. you or you're a journalist, right? And you've yeah. got like a, a beat and you kind of like You have cover. your thing that you're already an expert yeah. in. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, that's how the, the Audible thing. And then like I had to record it, right? So I was like, I did a lot of preparation for that. That was a really exhausting process too. Yeah, did you do a lot of vocal warm-ups every time you read? Were you like... Brrr. No. <laughs> no like, absolutely not. no but you know it's they're really good at it so i would like you know they want you to read slower they want you, you know just did you go also, into like a studio yeah yeah okay. i decided audible has their own studios at their offices in newark new jersey and nice. so i went i you know this was right before the whole covid thing so i was like okay i'll go out there and then i got to like meet some of the marketing people and shoot some behind the scenes stuff and awesome. they did like a promo interview and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I decided to do that and it was, um, it was a very cool experience and I, I learned a lot and I wow. prepared for that too, because I would like, again, I would record from like nine or 10 in the morning till 
you know, four or five in the afternoon and I was like wrecked. That is draining. Yeah. I mean, we took breaks, we took lunch breaks, we took whatever kinds of, you know, whatever, but it's still, most of us aren't like focused for that much time. I mean, yeah, that's a very like specific focus and, and your voice really is like a tool that it can get like exhausted. Yeah. I mean, and as you probably learned on your Vipassana retreat, like you don't realize how much energy you expend at your mouth, just talking about nothing all the time. Yeah. Until you stop doing it and you're like, oh, wow, that is exhausting. Yeah. Just like saying, hey, what's up? How are you? Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. To everyone. Those, I don't know the last time you did a silent retreat, if it's been a while, but like that first few days of like interacting, it was like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> like as I turned on, it was, you know, I have a you know, cell phone because it was in the last couple of years. Yeah. Last couple, like they haven't been around forever, but they haven't, but uh <laughs> Yeah, just turning it on and like a couple notifications coming in was like, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Oh God, communication is is a lot. <laughs> yeah, and my experience was that like some retreats were better at helping you reintegrate than others too. Oh yeah, so. this one was just like, all right, bye, and you're like, yeah, like a lot of times they'll have like a half day. Some of them would have like a half day at the end where people start talking again. Yeah. Well, I guess we did that. I shouldn't yeah. totally like throw them under the bus. Whereas like, yeah. as soon as they're like, you're all allowed to speak, the room exploded with everything. Really? Like, oh my God, that was crazy, right? Because yeah. there's like, they had separated men and women. So it was just all women like oh, immediately just buzzing, which was so funny. Because I was like, oh, I wasn't ready for like an explosion of noise. I thought we'd all yeah. be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, it's interesting because some people really want to like be like blah, 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 and other people like really don't yeah it's interesting. you're like i want to just i'm still processing or, yeah ease out ease, ease into the bath you know wow so it, i mean it sounds like like you got everything done just in the nick of time which is awesome yeah i mean i think i had to do pickups like right in the like the first week that we were all in lockdown and I like basically like went to a studio with like a mask and gloves and like just didn't touch anything and like got in and out of there and like as fast as I could. Wow. That's what a time. And so you've been, you (laughs) were also working on the tap dancing. Let me just ask you this since like on the topic of the pandemic coming up, do, do you have any like little bit of advice that maybe like you've learned since, you know, you've had to slow down on the um, tap dancing thing of like, yeah, I mean, I'm don't not go the way you plan when you get like a big bump in the road. Yeah. I mean, I'm not tap dancing. I'm not going, I haven't been to the gym in six months, which is like, that's, you know, the, the longest I've gone in like four years, you know, wow. to the gym. I got, uh, when I was in like right before the tournament of champions, I got Lyme disease. So I took a break then. Oh but, no, that's, yeah, that sucks, man. It's hard. Yeah. I got a whole, great story about that but i'll, I'll spare you <laughs> i have an autoimmune thing too and it's like a, yeah. it's a, it can be a nightmare so. yeah so um but yeah this is the longest i've gone without that and um i don't know that i've really figured it out but i have taken up i'm learning bossa nova guitar now so wow. that um so i take a zoom lesson once a week and it's something yeah so it's kind of like at this point when there are things like when you cannot do the things you're used to, it's like, all right, well let's find something. Yeah. I think I like having, yeah. I think having like anchoring kind of stuff like therapy and 
Um, (laughs) like, uh, you know, something that's for you, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a learning thing. I'm working on a new project and I don't know if it'll turn into a book or what, but I'm working with a friend of mine on a project about hobbies. Obviously that's like a big thing that I spend a lot of time on. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and, um, and just how few people have hobbies. And I think that the, um, pandemic kind of showed that, right? Like all of a sudden we were stuck alone and everyone's like, what do I do? everyone like, you know, started doing puzzles, started baking bread and all of these things like looking for something. And it kind of made me realize something that I've seen as like a looming crisis, which is like, I look at my parents' generation and they just retired and they play golf. My dad's a woodworker. My mom knits, she plays bridge. And I look at like my friends, I'm like, what is, what are all these people going to do if, if they can retire when they retire. So what are you going to just like stare at your phone all day? Like, right. Yeah. Like the number one hobby among millennials is watching TV That's and movies. Sad. And so I'm kind of working on this project to encourage people to find hobbies and help them understand how to get the most out of a hobby. Because I think the other, the other piece that, um, really hinders people from hobbies is kind of the performative aspect of social media and also the side hustle mentality. Of like, I have to make this a thing I'm good at or like, yeah, a having to make it a thing you're good at or B trying to turn your hobby into a business. And it's like, that is the, that destroys it. Right. It's like, yeah, it takes all the fun out of it. I can, I can guarantee that to anyone listening as a professional comedian, it will destroy the thing you love. (laughs) And I think, you know, I read this book like a few years ago called so good. They can't ignore you by this guy, Cal Newport. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's about how basically the whole, the passion hypothesis of career advice, which is whatever you're passionate about, turn that into your job which a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm unhappy in my like corporate gig. I'm going to become a yoga instructor because I love doing that or whatever it is and how that so often fails people. Yeah. And so he, he, he provides this other hypothesis, which you can, everyone can read in the book, but it made me think like, okay, so what do we do with our passions? And you know, the answer for me is, is hobbies, right? Yeah. It's like just enjoying them for what they are. Yeah. And what a revolutionary act it is to do something that isn't productive, that just, is for joy. Like that is I mean, truly that truly a revolutionary act. And I'm like, so this is my new thing that I'm, as you can tell, it's on my mind cause I'm doing a lot of research and I'm writing about it. Um, and so I think like finding hobbies is, is, is really grounding for people, right? It's like, we're so disconnected and yet whatever that hobby is for, you know, and I think we have this idea, right. Of like hobbies as often being expensive or time consuming, like, kiteboarding and golf and (laughs) whatever. And it's like, it could be bird watching. It could be, you know, hiking. It could, it could be there. There's so many, you know, hobbying is so vast and um, there's so many different worlds of it. Like my daughter got a map and is collecting the state quarters and putting them on the map. Like that's, you know, collecting. And it's like, you know, it's like every time a quarter comes in the house, she's excited. She's checking it out. And she's like, I already have, you know, just these little things that I don't know. It's, there's no, there's no value beyond the joy it creates. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, just doing something because you enjoy doing it and being okay with the fact that that is the end line. Right. And not having it be like a performative, I'm great at it. Or even the like performative, like, look what I'm learning. Yeah. That's like, you can also (laughs) do something and nobody know about it. Yeah, nobody knew I was training for the deadlift competition until after 
Until you ripped your pants in the office to until, seat. Until I posted the, like, me with the metal picture. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? Which I almost think that's more exciting. That you're like, yeah. oh, by the way. Just like, I'm yeah. Like, so, but yeah, I do um, think that's a thing where people feel this. I definitely feel this pressure of like, oh, I'm enjoying painting. Check it out. Do I need to be good enough to, like, post a picture to show you that I'm painting? Right. Or, like... And it's also, if I show it once, is someone going to check in and be like, how's the painting going? Right. Like, oh, I'm still really bad at it. <laughs> right. And I think it's also interesting too, how we have different, um, we have different like barometers for what it means to have something as a hobby. Like a lot of people who do music, for example, like learn how to play a piece, right? They're not composing stuff, but if you're painting somehow paint by numbers is like, look down upon whereas people want you to be kind of creating something and yeah, it's but like, you're like why? it's the same thing it's like it's the paint by numbers and you know like playing a piece of sheet music are kind of analogous right yeah so why can't that if like if you enjoy that why like do it yeah like leave me alone i'm not trying to be the next like the prince of painting <laughs> and i think like there's all these i mean i have all these other reasons that i think hobbying has fallen to the wayside but i think i would and the other thing is think about how much time we have now. We're not commuting. We're not, yeah. we're, we're not stuck at the office where like our downtime is sort of like owned by the company just the by company us. Like, we work for. Yeah. Oh, I think like just, I'm, a, sorry, yeah, I'm, no, no, I'm at home. And like, if I have a half hour, I'll like pick up the guitar and practice or I'll, you know, do something with one of my other hobbies that I enjoy. And, um, it's so much easier to do that, right? Because we can surround ourselves with these things and kind yeah, of they're pop so in accessible. And out of them. Yeah, yeah, you can't like bring your guitar to the office. They'll be like, "This Come is on, this is an Arby's." <laughs> yeah, like get back in the drive-through window, Bill. <laughs> We've got time limits to keep. Yeah, Bill's like, "Si fino amor," and they're like, <laughs> "Wrong, no, get out of here." Just more more meats. We've got the meats. We don't need music. Yeah. Roast that beef, buddy. That's. I mean, we're just in a, I think, in a culture that has put so much emphasis on productivity and 100%. results. Like, we're a very work-product-driven culture to the point that people, like, measure their worth on how many hours they're working at something or, like, quote. Totally. And it starts in education, right? So, like, we got rid of shop class. We got rid of a lot of arts education, home ec. And that was where people learned a lot of hobbies that they continue enjoy. to enjoy. <laughs> for the rest of their lives. And we like got rid of that because we're like, it's not productive. And now we wonder why people, you know, aren't doing crocheting or like, you know, are learning, trying to learn these things as adults, you know, like adult sewing classes or whatever. Yeah. Cause, Cause it's like, you never had the opportunity, which is yeah. a bummer. Yeah. Man. Awesome. But. Well, this is all great. Thank you for talking with me. Um, we are, I mean, we already talked about Get Ready can be found on Audible. I'll put a link yeah. to it in the show notes. Where else can people find you and follow you? Well, me? I mean, if you're into yeah. like um, the garbage of my brain, then Twitter is kind of the main place for, to it's find me. It's a fun account. It's a fun account. <laughs> um, I will. Like a weird mix of like trivia and like parenting and miscellany. Um, That's great. <laughs> but yeah, Twitter is the best place to find me and awesome. get ready. And for anyone listening, I will, I will put links to uh, your Twitter and also to go get your book. And I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it. And I want yeah, to hear um, people's hobbies too. Uh, yeah. And I want to hear from people like one of the things, sorry, not to no. extend. One of the things when Sin. I, when I, when Sin. I um, 
wrote the book is like, it's really an invitation for people to try things. Like that's what I was doing. Like going to the gym and hanging from a chin up bar. I didn't, nobody told me to do that. I was just like, maybe this will work. And it did. (laughs) So I hope that people, like, I love hearing from people being like, Hey, I checked out your book and I ended up trying this thing, this other thing that I thought of and it really helped. And I'm like really stoked on that. So I'd love to hear from people who listen who try something, get out of their comfort zone, be a little goofy and it works. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So you guys go, go do that and tweet it at, at Buzzy. Yeah. Uh, let them know that you're trying new things. I'm excited to try some new things. This has been, yeah. this was refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. Bye everybody. Well, there you go. Buzzy Cohen and all things getting ready. Jeopardy, deadlifting, life. Yeah. What a great guest. If you liked him, you liked the podcast, and you have not already, please hit that subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Share it with your friends because everybody's a little bit ignorant sometimes. Big thank you to John, Eric, Gene, Greg, Kathy, and Terry, exclusive members of the League of Extraordinary Idiots on Patreon. Couldn't do it without you guys. I will see you at the next crappy hour, and postcards are coming in the mail to you. Not postcards. Halloween cards. I've gone nowhere, so I have no postcards for you. At least I'm honest, you guys. But if you're interested, I send postcards from the road when I travel. But I'm not traveling right now because the world is dead. Uh, But head over to patreon.com for lots of other cool stuff. Patreon.com slash ignorance is blessed, and that really helps out the podcast. I appreciate everyone at all levels from a dollar up to our highest tier. (sighs) Follow at ignorance is blessed on Instagram to put some faces to the voices you're hearing on this podcast. I can't help you with those other voices. Again, I'll continue to say that. And uh, we're also on Twitter at Blessed Podcast. Tweet at us. Tell us topics you want to have covered. I don't know why I always say us. It's literally just me. Please keep in mind that no guest is or claims to be a representative for every person who has a similar identity. They're just one person sharing their own experience and ideas to help us get a peek at how things look from their situated position in the world. You want to join the conversation? Head over to the Facebook fan page for the podcast. Facebook fan page. It's a group. It's a Facebook group. Why did I call it a fan page? You guys get it. We're all fans of questions. That's why we're in there. Ignorance is hashtag blessed idiots. That's a fun way to get involved and support without, you know, spending even a dollar a month. Um, So, you know, if you can't afford it, but you want to get more involved, get in there. That's the place I look to with suggestions first. And the place I try to post ahead of time for questions for upcoming guests. So if you want to be able to get your questions in, that is the place to be. And I will always do my best to deliver what we can, what I can. I said we again, dear God, keep asking questions. The more we ask, the more we learn, the more we know. And the more we know, the more we can look down on others who aren't as smart as we are. And isn't that the point? (laughs) Thank you for listening. And thank you for being patient with my ignorance. See you soon, idiots.